is Fesad Pliqueta. This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by my co-host, Phil. That's right, at Chelsea Youth. We're going to do a match preview for Chesterfield, uh, which is a little bit different. Sadly, Matt Law had to cancel. Phil's like, well, hey, we should preview it because there's going to be a lot of use. So here we are, going to be breaking breaking on the FA Cup tie uh, against Chesterfield, Phil. Yeah, it's good to be back and hopefully uh, a little bit like the Brentford game a few weeks ago in the League Cup, we're going to see some of the academy boys play. Obviously, we're in a really hectic schedule for the first team right now. There's so many absentees through COVID or through injury or just through fatigue. Uh, And it makes sense as an opportunity to give some of those younger players uh, a little bit more of an opportunity to play. Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot that we can kind of talk about. So we'll touch on Chesterfield and what kind of should we expect from a National League team. Uh, We'll then talk about the Chelsea squad, uh, what kind of depth issues we may or may not have. And then we'll also look ahead at the academy schedule as well, because uh, as Phil and I were talking before the podcast, uh, they have a lot of games and things that are important as well. So it's like a lot of balancing priorities inside the club. So it's not maybe as straightforward as it was, uh, you know, against Brentford, because the academy was shut down, Phil. They're on holiday. Not anymore. The club is 100% back up and humming. So um, I guess first, Chesterfield, uh, is Nick laughably Googled it last night. We found out that it's by Manchester United and Leeds, we think. Um, they're one of four non-league clubs left in the FA Cup, which hashtag magic of the cup, right? <laughs> um, but they're in the National League. So again, most of us foreigners have no idea when we hear National League, what to expect? Like, how can you help us give a barometer of what to expect from this type of a team? I think talking about them as a National League team rather than a non-league team is probably more apt now in 2022. Uh, Traditionally and historically, it's been the Premier League and then uh, Championship League 1, League 2, or as it was back in the day, Divisions 1, 2 and 3. Those are the 92 teams that were historically professional and everybody below that was semi-pro or or amateur, the lower you go down. Uh, Over the last 10 to 15 years, more of those teams, especially at National League level in the fifth tier, have become professional. There's really not that much of a difference in, say, the bottom half of League Two and the top half of the National League. You routinely see teams get promoted and immediately challenged for promotion against someone like Sutton United, who got promoted last season, have never previously been in the Football League. They're, They're in the playoff position last I looked in League Two. So while they are historically non-league they are professional they have players who've got a lot of football league experience and they are top of the national leagues they've only lost once in the league this season they are pushing for promotion back into the 92 as we recognize it and they're not going to be a pushover it's a game you'd expect a club of Chelsea's caliber to win even with a, a a rotated team with youngsters sprinkled in because of the difference between the club's 90 odd league places in ladder but we shouldn't go into the game just assuming that because we've got drawn against a non-league team for the first time since 2004, that it's going to be uh, a walk in the park. All right. Well, I mean, especially when you consider the fact of everything that's going on <laughs> at Chelsea uh, and things like that. So fun fact, this is like a Rick Glanville fact. Uh, Chelsea have uh, have not seen Chesterfield since uh, February 1950. I believe no. so. Although they should uh, have back in <laughs> 1997 when they beat Middlesbrough in the FA Cup final. Middlesbrough played Chesterfield in the semi-final of that year and Chesterfield were denied uh, what would have been a winning goal in that semi-final. Uh, I think the shot hit the crossbar, came down over the line. Pre-VAR era, wasn't given. Game went to a replay. Middlesbrough carried on to the cup final in its history. So you might say this is the, the match that should have been the cup final uh, 25 years ago. Um, but 
clubs have gone in different fortunes since then. Chesterfield were the, the darlings of the nation that time. They were the underdogs that reached the semi-final. Well, we can hope to not allow that again. Um, That'd be nice. And especially with the FA Cup, Phil, a disappointing loss to Leicester City last year. Different circumstances, right? I think most players had one eye on the Champions League and staying healthy. If you're just being honest, the FA Cup doesn't really stack up comparatively. But with Tuchel, he seemed to put out really strong sides, obviously against Tottenham in the Carabao Cup against West Ham uh, in early rounds in Brentford. Uh, albeit he had the the young players in for 60 minutes. Um, what do you think Tuchel's approach is going to be in general for this FA Cup match in terms of a, a lower opponent? Um, do you think he's going to gamble with rotation or he's going to look to lock it up and just win literally every game that's in front of him and play the best lineup he can? I think the FA Cup is twofold. Firstly, Chelsea have always treated the competition with the respect that they believe it deserves. They've fielded strong teams. They have routinely been in the final, the semi-final. They've won it so many times in the Roman Abramovich era. And success begets success begets success. You start feeding trophies in, players get hungrier, they want to win more trophies. And this is a group that, yes, they won the Champions League last May, but there are still young players in there who haven't had a lot of domestic success. They had the FA Cup final last year and they lost it. Uh, they haven't won a league title, some of them. And you just want to keep adding those winners' medals. So I'd expect Tuchel to play as strong a team as he feels he can, given the schedule, given we've had a midweek game and there's another midweek game. And Brighton has just been chucked in on the 18th of January before they go off to the uh, Club World Cup. So there's a heavy, heavy schedule with two two games a week and hardly any time to train. So you know that Tuchel is going to rotate appropriately because this is with no disrespect to Chesterfield the weakest opponent they're going to face for a long time this season but I don't think you're, you're likely to see 1-11 to 11 from the development squad and a bunch of under 18s on the bench it'll be players who need minutes to keep themselves ticking over because you don't want them to go two weeks without a game at this point uh, but it'll be sprinkled in with some opportunities for the likes of uh, players we've seen against Brentford and who've been in and around the group over Christmas yeah I think Tungle's talked a lot about um you know, having to rotate a lot of players uh, playing at suboptimal uh, fatigue levels and things like that. So uh, with that being said, obviously, we got to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek come back in, you know, play against Tottenham. So a little bit of depth in the midfield. So looked pretty decent. So if you're looking at the squad, knowing that essentially the back line is pretty decimated right now, uh, Keppa will obviously be in goal. Uh, the midfield, you know, kind of... I don't up. know if Kepa will be in goal. I think it's an really? opportunity for Marcus Bettinelli to get his first game really? of the season. Yeah, if you've got Mendy away for a month, Kepa is your number one. You're going to treat him as the, the guy who gets the rest. Now, you don't want to risk an injury here, for example. But also, if you've got a, a third choice who, who knows he's third choice, he's going to spend most of the season training and be an asset to that goalkeeping room. You give him a game here and there, and it's, it's, it's at home, it's against Chesterfield. I think... It would be disappointing if Bettinelli didn't get a game because I don't think there's an opportunity for him to, unless there's a dead rubber at the end of the season. So that would be quite nice, I think. Okay, I'm open to that. Um, but you assume midfield, you know, you're low on energy uh, and it seems like we have quite a few attackers. So knowing that what we know about the the team shape and the fact that apparently Tuchel is not afraid to play with four backs because, quote, you can't play a five back if you don't have five healthy defenders, end quote. Um, where where do you think we're going to see some of the uh, academy sprinkle in uh, in this team? I think it's you, you look at the guys who've been in and around the squad. So Harvey Vale should start. 
He was trusted with some, some minutes later on against Tottenham. He got an hour against Brentford. He's been on the bench. He's clearly the, the leading light of the development squad who's closest to getting involved. He should play. And then you, you're looking at the rest of them. Soon Sutt Bell and uh, Xavier Simons played against Brentford. They should be involved if they're fit and available. Uh, Lewis Hall has been on the bench recently in Premier League matches. He's got the ability to play as a central midfielder or a left wing back. You can play him at left back as well. He's done that for the development squad. Uh, Charlie Webster's been in and around the picture. He was on the bench against Brentford. So those sort of guys should be involved. And then when they had the wider group ahead of Brentford where everybody was unavailable, you had so many more of the development squad. You had Alfie Gilchrist, Jaden Wareham, Xavier Umbuyamba. So you, you can pick and choose from the development squad who themselves do play earlier on the Saturday at home to Leicester. So you'll be able to imply infer from that game who's likely to be involved later on. But in the the build-up to the game and in training, you'll get a decent idea. I think you look at who didn't play against Tottenham, who was on the bench, Timo Werner came on, obviously, um, because Kai Havertz suffered, I think, a finger injury. Hudson Adoy, Ross Barkley, they'll probably play and you're going to have at least one senior defender in there in some way because... As we know, we're short of defenders. If you have to play somebody out of position in an emergency or bring in somebody young, you'd like an Azpilicueta who fortunately doesn't seem too seriously injured when he went down with what looked like a hamstring. It might have just been cramp. If he can play or if Christensen can play one of them, uh, you, you, you might have Malang Sar again. It all, like you say, depends on how many fit defenders you have, whether you go with a back four or a back five. There are a bunch of development squad defenders who can play different positions. Simon's played right wing back against Brentford, but you could play him on the right of a back three. It'll, it'll be that half dozen that we're familiar with who've been in the squad for the last month or so that are most likely to play and then pick whoever you like to be on the bench. When we do a super unfair comparison of U23 and maybe even U18 football compared to uh, National League, do you feel like, because I know, you know, some of the Dev Squad, they'll play in what you would say, like full men's competitions and things like that. If we talk about this season, do you feel like where Chelsea's Academy is at is at this level? Um, or like, you know, I guess, how do we compare that? If like they're going to come in, are they going to be used to playing someone like a Chesterfield? To an extent, they've been in the EFL trophy for the last six, seven years, which is against League One and League Two teams. Uh, and precisely for this reason, to give them experience at a younger age against uh, adult male professionals. And this season, they are um, in the last 16, which is still regionalised. Um, they play Arsenal next week for a place in the last eight and a matter of games away from going to Wembley, which is quite a feat for any under-21 team. They, they're unbeaten in the competition this season. Admittedly, that's one win and three draws with three penalty shootout wins. That's not to be sniffed at, but it proves and demonstrates that they have a capacity to play against teams of a decent calibre and, and hold their own. And remember, that's an entire development squad. It doesn't sprinkle in any senior experience. Yes, there is the factor that some of those football league teams have rotated their squads and played some younger players themselves because it's a competition that burdens them and they don't really have time for. But equally, they've played against some good, experienced football league pros. And you can take the lessons learned in those games into this one against Chesterfield, who are a good team. They've got experience, they've got talent. And the, the big difference between PL2 football and any senior football is physicality. Chesterfield are going to be a physical team. They've got Kabongo Tishimanga up front, who is is a big, stocky striker, who Chelsea came up against in pre-season against Boreham Wood, actually, just before Chesterfield signed him. So they'll have players who've played against him, whether they realise it or not. Um, 
and that's really what's going to come down to like i was just talking about you're going to have a senior defender in there not to hold the hand so much but just to be a sort of a safety blanket because these players top of the football top of the national league sorry one defeat all season they're going to come in with confidence it's not like you're playing a non-league team who are out of form and struggling they're going to come in and think right we might not have an upset but we're going to make life hard for them we're going to try and enjoy our moment at Stamford Bridge we're going to be competitive and that's a different mentality to most of the EFL trophy games as well uh so as you talk about some of those you know players coming from the academy can you just remind everyone uh what formation typically the u23s are playing you know just to see i know we're not doing the la masia philosophy of barcelona where everyone plays the same from top to bottom but you know is the back five or back three or whatever you want to say in the wingback system it's still pretty familiar for our academy players isn't it oh, absolutely absolutely they they've rotated between a back three and a, a flat back four throughout most of the season depending on player availability and and form and confidence there's there's no doubt that anyone could come in and adapt to whatever Tuchel's asking of them pretty seamlessly. And that's a credit to the academy education that they get. Perfect. Got it. Because I know I feel like that's the one question we always get is like, well, are they used to playing this system? So yes, uh, press the shit out of the other team. We should be all right. And that's that's the, when you're talking about pressing, that's why you want to get some of these younger boys involved. They haven't had any games since early December and the first team are fatigued. They're tired. They've got a huge schedule. So even if you're getting them involved, from in the front three, if you have a Zunsat Bella, Vale, and somebody else, they've got the legs to immediately carry everybody with them. You start pressing from the front, you can play that higher line, you can compress the midfield, you can test the technical quality of a fifth tier team and then take advantage from there. You you have the younger players lead, supported by the experience behind them, and, and that's the sort of recipe for success that I think might happen on Saturday. See, my concern is with Sunset Bell and Vale that we're playing up top is that we have most of our attackers. We have plenty of depth up top. Do you think that, uh, you know, we've even seen Tuchel play Reese James in midfield. Do you think there's anyone that he maybe is going to look to plug into a central midfield role? Or do you think it'll mainly be kind of like a, a right or left center back in wingback system? If he's available, Lewis Baker should play whether you play him in central midfield or whether you repeat the experiment that Tuchel did back in pre-season at Bournemouth and play him in the middle of a back three, I'd like to think he'd play. As we spoke about before the Brentford game, he's 26, he'll be 27 at the end of the season, be out of contract. He's had five-ish competitive minutes in a Chelsea shirt in his entire career. And that's despite being an academy player of the year and outstanding success, 150 senior games away on loan. Um, and like we said against Brentford, tested positive for COVID a couple of days before the game and that wiped out that opportunity. Assuming he's available, he would be a, an absolute stonewall first choice for me to put into the starting eleven somewhere. It affords you rotation in central midfield where so many players have been unavailable and so many players who've only just come back, you don't want to risk them in this game at all. You've got so many more bigger fish to fry. Let's have Lewis Baker. With no disrespect, he's played in the championship. He's played in the top flight in Turkey, the top flight in the Netherlands. He is capable of playing this match at a high standard. I'm sure him and Ruben have plenty of academy minutes together. Yeah, they do. Ruben's a 96 born. Lewis is 95. They're from different age groups. But yeah, they've played together in the years and they'll be familiar with each other's game. What a throwback. That'll be like, uh, let me know the person who thought Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Lewis Baker would be starting in Chelsea's midfield in any competition. Uh, you you win that bingo square. All right. It's your boy. It's Editor Jake. Brandon was freestyling with the hosting duties. Didn't have an ad break set into the system. So it's me. I'm here to throw to the ads. Much love to our sponsors. Show them some love. And right after that, keep listening to Chelsea Youth and Brandon.
We'll be right back. Uh, Saul obviously put in a bit of a good effort, too. So my guess is that Tuchel's going to let him play again and try to ride that high. Yeah, I think you can put him in, even if it's only for an hour or whatever, because it was a fairly intense match against Tottenham. It wasn't the most intense match, but you could see he's he's getting into a rhythm and into a groove and finding some form. And like you said, you don't want to put pour cold water on that. He's not going to play against Manchester City unless something goes wrong. And then if you don't play him against Chesterfield, you're looking at a week, 10 days without form. Let him build that momentum up. I think momentum is such a powerful weapon in football. It's It's so misrepresented at times that you have players come in from good form on loan and then not play or players getting up to form and then they're rotated out. I think the more you keep a good thing going, the more results you're going to get from it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. You know, especially we've all played at nice low levels. Uh, we've we've had that, right? And there's a confidence behind it. If you know you're going to play, uh, you know you have the, the backing of the manager and, and the staff. So, Especially for a player who was noticeably lacking in confidence, not, not just at Chelsea in his... Uh, Atletico last season everything seemed to be going wrong for him Simeone spoke about it Sal spoke of it and it's credit to him that he's been able to patiently turn things around at Chelsea and fine it's been two three good games in a row that's a start you take that start and you build on it we're not going to just say okay it's 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 it's, it's a one-off he's we're going to disregard him for the rest of the season even if Chelsea don't take up their option to buy him in the summer if he can be an asset to the squad between now and the end of the season brilliant Look, progressing in the FA Cup is important for a club like Chelsea, right? We know it's uh, not the end-all, be-all, but it is a massive uh, turn- uh, tournament for Chelsea. And you look back at our recent history, we talked about it a little bit. Chelsea have had some pretty mixed results in the FA Cup. You know, you think back to the the Alexis Sanchez handball against Arsenal. You think about the handball that just happened against Leicester City. And Chelsea have been in the FA Cup far more than I think we've won it in the recent history. So, you know, Tuchel's won the Champions League. I'm not saying he's, you know, on the, uh, oh, I've checked that box. Now we need to look domestically, kind of like Klopp did after they won it. I think he's... I think Tuchel's literally trying to win every single match that's in front of him, whether it's against Chesterfield, whether it's against Brentford in the League Cup, whether it's, you know, against Tottenham um, in the League Cup as well. Yeah. And I think there's an expectation at Chelsea to take the FA Cup seriously. They've they've done so under every manager in the Abramovich era. They don't play ridiculously weakened teams like historically Arsenal have in some competitions or that Klopp has clearly saying, right, I don't care about this cup. There's too many games here. Chelsea have put team good game... Uh, good teams out they have almost full capacity attendances at all home games which isn't something that every big club can say in the competition it, it seems like Chelsea have a real affinity with the FA Cup and okay they might not have had the greatest recent record in it in terms of actually lifting it but that's only recently this every trip to Wembley through 2005 2006 onwards for a decade seemed to end with Chelsea lifting the trophy and it's, it's it's that culture. The FA Cup is, is there for Chelsea to win. Every manager wants to come in and win it because there's an expectation on every manager at Chelsea to, to win. Otherwise, you're going to be out of a job. Tuchel's earned himself a, a, a long stay of stability winning the Champions League and with such a great record since he's come in a year ago. But yeah, he'll want to add more and more trophies to that to make sure that he can stay around as well. Reminds me of the uh, Antonio Conte quotes about Spurs and how uh, when he loses games, you know, it's like a big deal. But at Spurs, he was saying, if you lose a, a lose a trophy, it's no big deal. If you miss out on the top four, it's no big deal. You know, you just reset and go again. Obviously, now that uh, that's when he was at Chelsea saying that. So now that he's at Spurs, that is very much his problem that he's working through. But to your point, Chelsea... 
uh, under Abramovich, we are serial winners. The culture is to win. So uh, to that point, I fully expect Tuchel to go out with probably a stronger lineup than most fans expect. I think if you get a lot of fan lineup predictions, you're going to see heavy rotation. Um, but based on what he did against Tottenham, like I'm expecting Timo Werner to start up top. He needs minutes. It's a great opportunity for him to get firing again. Like, don't be surprised if Lukaku comes in. I don't expect to see N'Golo Kante at all. Um, but there's definitely going to be uh, a strong, I think, core to this team. Mason could be in. Pulisic wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. So um, we'll have to see. But And importantly, just one last point. Sorry, sure. there are, I believe the FA Cup still uses five substitutes again this season, which will... Smart. Uh, which will come into Tuchel's thinking as well. He made all five against Tottenham, getting the rotation around, getting minutes in. And if Chelsea happen to be in a position where they're, they're comfortably ahead after an hour or so, that's an opportunity to sprinkle in some debuts. That, again, it keeps the good feeling around it, keeps me from criticising everybody. It, it, everyone in the crowd, you, you want to see a debut, you want to see another academy boy come through. Uh, the, the dream scenario would be a, a rotated team with some of the more experienced youngsters starting comfortable lead get some more debuts carry on we want to see phil update the consecutive days with the academy graduate in we want to see phil update the number of debutants uh this season from the academy uh it's uh it's what makes Absolutely. us happy the silver lining um well phil we've got you on so i i think it'd be pretty remiss if i were to pretend as if academy football is not back because we haven't talked about it in a while uh we did the mailbag right at the end of the year um and and you know talked about uh the brentford preview so uh what's going on at the academy uh we know they had a, a break over the holidays over the festive uh period so uh, i guess now they've restarted what's kind of the situation for the u23s and the dev squad and the 18s and all that yeah they were back in training formally from Tuesday, maybe Monday, I forget which day. Um, and they're all gearing up for a, a busy week or, or fortnight. So the development squad, as I mentioned, they play Saturday lunchtime against Leicester City. That game was initially meant to be Monday, but because they are playing Arsenal at the Emirates on Tuesday in the EFL trophy, they've brought it forward rather than moving it later in the season. So they've got two games in four days themselves without considering who may be involved against Chesterfield. Those who, who play against Chesterfield will also probably be involved against Arsenal, so there's some busy times there. The under-18s themselves are away to Aston Villa at Saturday at the same time as the Leicester game. And then they'll be preparing for the FA Youth Cup fourth round away to Watford on Thursday the 13th. So it's really busy in that perspective. Towards the end of the month, they uh, the under-19s will be away to Genk in the UEFA Youth League playoffs, which is a one-off tie for the right to go into the last 16 of the competition proper. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 really busy again. Uh, there's going to be a game, possibly two games for most age groups per week for a little while. Chelsea aren't one of the teams that have had too many things affect their schedule. There were postponements before Christmas widespread because the Omicron variant was running wild and some teams had positives. Some teams just thought, okay, it's the week before Christmas. Let's just call these games off out of precaution and move them back. Typically what will happen from January onwards in the academy is the players will start to move up the age groups a little bit, which then brings the under-16s into play a little bit more for the under-18s as you start moving into the year that they're going to become full-time scholars in the summer. So there's going to be a lot of movement in and around the age groups for people to watch out for and expect in the, the weeks ahead. But certainly for, for the games that are coming up this weekend and then the next fortnight, you're going to see as strong a team as each team can play, particularly in the Youth Cup. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the uh, UEFA competition, we've now split before they're falling the men's team. Now they're in their own knockout round. Glad to hear it's one leg. Um, but what has COVID been like for the academy? I know that the women aren't playing this weekend um, because I think they I think they played last year, but I'm not 100% sure. Anyways, uh, their opponents are, I think it's Tottenham actually, are having a lot of COVID cases. So they've had to postpone matches. I guess kind of what's the... Um, the thoughts are kind of like the the level of concern inside the academies. At Chelsea, I don't think it's particularly high. Obviously, the, the recaution uh, and practice behavior and certain Premier League protocols that have been re- brought back in since December. But Chelsea, as far as I'm aware, aren't unduly affected by it. Uh, that can change at any moment. Games can be called off on the morning of a game if players test positive. Uh, but... For the time being, I think you're just going to proceed as as planned. Um, work within whatever parameters the Premier League have set for you. And fingers crossed, you'd find that that particular variant in London, the southeast, may start to peak or come on, on the downside. And oh, and you, you can't relax at this point. But you may, by not having games between mid-December and now, you may have avoided... The window where the biggest risk would have been found so yeah all we can do is wait and see but i don't think chelsea have got too much of a problem right now on that front everyone else like chelsea going aston villa on saturday for example if aston villa suddenly have tests and positive tests in the camp or unavailabilities on friday or saturday morning then that game can be called off through no control that chelsea have it's it's just as unpredictable for people in football as it is for you and i and everybody else out there Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, it's a good thing that it sounds like it's not nearly as bad as it is for the, um, you know, kind of the senior squads. I mean, we've seen, was it Man City just came out and said they have 12 staff, including Guardiola? Yeah. And that's a really good example because that's going to cause knock-on effects for their academy. Um, the FA are insisting that all of the ties get played this weekend. Yet they don't want anything to be falling about. So City are going to have to play 23s and 18s against Swindon. They're more than good enough to play that game with no disrespect to Swindon. But that means that their 18s and 23s will both have their games cancelled this weekend. Liverpool have cancelled their Youth Cup tie this weekend because they've got positives in the camp uh, and players may need to move back and forth between age groups there. Those games will then get passed down later in the season. It's not unexpected and unfamiliar for that to happen because... Let's, let's talk normal times. You have December and January, you have inclement weather, you have conditions that will see games get called off or abandoned or postponed and move back to later in the season. I think Swansea last season finished with 10 games in 28 days, which was ridiculous for their under-18s. But it's it's everyone's in the same boat right now and just keep persevering, really. Do you feel like academy football is going to kind of be the the one that loses out if a lot of games are getting postponed and there's a lot of matches in a short amount of days do you feel like they're going to get canceled or do is it one of those things you just keep looking down the list if you run out of 23s you look at 18s you run out of 18s you look at 16s and so on yeah that's what it's going to be i don't think anything's going to be canceled or games forfeited or whatever but there will be matches where teams forced to play with a younger or a weaker team than they would originally plan to certainly towards the end of the season for teams who have a particularly big backlog they're under 16s and under 15s in some cases will move up to the under 18s and play games Wolves already been doing that this season in the under 18 Premier League um, they have a small under 18 group as it is so any absentees by design they want to bring the 16s and 15s up because 
it's a way to challenge them and to further their development and education by exposing them to football at a higher level than they're currently dominating at. Um, I wouldn't think it's going to be too much that academy directors and staff haven't seen before, but like everything else, we, we just don't know. Sure. But fingers crossed as you get through the winter and into the spring, everything becomes a lot more settled down, a lot more predictable, similar to the way it was August through to October. Um, hopefully we're past the worst of it as far as football is affected and as far as individuals are being affected by all. Amen, Phil, on that one. Uh, so I guess just to wrap up, um, how are you feeling with the Academy? What are kind of your your predictions as far as trajectory? Uh, we talked about how Chelsea are serial winners. Honestly, I think the Academy might have set that tone more than the first team uh, throughout the years because uh, doubles, trebles, and quadruples are no stranger to Lacabum. So, I mean, how are things going? Uh, what are your expectations based on where everyone's at at kind of the, the midway point? Yeah, so just to refresh uh, everyone's memory, because the under-18s haven't played since December the 12th, which was in the Youth Cup against Leighton Orient. They won that game in the third round, uh, their first involvement this season. They won that 4-1, which brings them to next week's fourth round tie against Watford. They're currently top of the under-18 South League on goal difference in a three-way tie on 25 points with Southampton and Leicester City. That's just through 11 games out of 26. So second half of the season is slightly backloaded, but not in any... Um, unusual way they're averaging more than four goals a game in all competitions and they're absolutely flying along they are back as one of the challengers for the under 18 title after a couple of years of, of struggling and playing second fiddle to Fulham who had a really good generation some of that feeds into the under 19s who as we spoke about they've got this playoff against Genk because they finished second in their group Juventus won the group but, you know, you get through that single leg tie, then you're into the knockouts, which are all single leg ties on the way to the final where they've been four times before. They know the trip to Switzerland, the UEFA Youth League finals weekend is played at the start of in Neon. You have the semifinals on the Friday and the final on the Monday. They've won it twice. They've lost it twice. And it's about time they actually won it again because the last time they won it was when uh, Fikayo Tomori and Casey Palmer scored in the yeah. final against Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. It was a while ago. They lost a final to... Porto since then and to Barcelona and I think I wouldn't say they might fall just short this year but you look about how good Juventus were against them and you think if if they had to play Juventus again would they have learned from the previous two matches enough to win the third meeting it depends how strong they could be it's a weird competition this year. Manchester City are out, Barcelona are out, Bayern Munich are out. Some traditionally big and strong academies in this age group are out of the competition. More than half of the historical winners of the UEFA Youth League are no longer in it this season. So simply being in gives you a chance to win. You, you can't be in if you've been knocked out in the group stages. That's the way I see it. You got to the development squad and things have been tricky for them. They, they've won three of their 14 league games despite a really good run in the EFL Trophy. They are a point away from the relegation zone in the PL2, if people are unfamiliar with the way that that works. Uh, There are 14 teams in Division 1, 14 teams in Division 2. The bottom two go down, two teams come up from the second tier. They're all Category 1 teams, as we spoke about on the EPPP explainer earlier in the season. But despite a poor record, they haven't actually lost all that many games. They just haven't converted draws into wins, particularly... After uh, they've lost six games, but four of those were from the start of October backwards. They've only lost twice since then. 
they've been putting they've been hard to beat but haven't found that winning edge and some of it comes down to a lack of goals Brian Fiabema's got four Harvey Vale's got five and then it's Baker and Umbuyamba and Jaden Wareham we've got two each Umbuyamba scored both of those in one game it's if they can find some form in front of goal if they can get Soonsart Bell rolling again he scored against Derby just before the break then there's been no academy football for him he got that debut against Brentford maybe that can spearhead him into the sort of form he showed last season uh, and if they win at Arsenal next week, that carries confidence. They've, they've just been drawn at home to Wigan Athletic in a prospective last eight tie. And they could, as, as weird as it sounds, the under-21s could play a final at Wembley, which would be incredibly controversial to people who don't like the idea of under-21 teams being in a professional competition. And it's never happened. Chelsea are the only team to have reached the semi-final. I think Leicester City may have done it as well, sorry. Either way, nobody's actually managed to get to Wembley as an under-21 team. And it would be fascinating to see what sort of attendance they would they would get. It's a 90,000-seater stadium. Would Chelsea be able to get 10, 15, 20,000 fans to turn up in support of the under-21 team? Obviously, we'd like to see it happen because for the lads to reach that would mean that they deserve it. It would be an incredible occasion and another chance to add success to, to, the, to the group at Cobham. But it, it's... It's something that's really quite interesting to to consider an under twenty one team playing in a, in a major cup final. Oh, I mean, we'd love it, absolutely. Of course, you know, I'd be there, and plenty May? of other people would be there. Is it end of season? Uh, no, it, it would be at some point in April, I believe. They play that slightly early, although I'm trying to remember because the last two editions have been postponed due to COVID, and I think the 2019-20 final was played the day before the twenty twenty one final last season. They staggered it all the way back. So trying to remember when it was meant to be played. I'm pretty sure it's in April though, but it's just one of those things that you don't expect it, but eventually it's going to happen. You're going to have an under 21 team reach the final of that competition through them being good enough and through so much apathy from football league teams that it just paves a, a, a smooth path through to the final. And then we'll see what happens. Well, it'd be fun. I mean, we were now that we didn't get to go over December, we've been looking at coming back in the spring. And I mean, if look, if if they're making it a be run. An impromptu trip to Wembley for you. Absolutely. The irony that the first time we go to Wembley is to watch uh, um, uh, the youth team lift a cup. That would be unbelievably special. But um, lots going on, Phil. Is, is that what you're saying? Uh, optimism there's there's always plenty going <laughs> on with the academy and there's always plenty of room for optimism and we saw that with the way the the three boys who started against Brentford back in December handled their business I, I, I pointed out in our Patreon discussion before that game that that they might not explode onto the page and score a hat-trick or be man of the match immediately but they also won't let you down there's a baseline level of talent at Cobham that means when when your number's called and you get into the team you have the ability to do the job that's asked of you to a high standard. Soonsat Bell played 45 minutes really, really well for a player who was ill and unable to train 48 hours earlier. Harvey Vale was unwell for most of the fortnight before that week up to the game. Played a very solid 60 minutes and has earned the trust of Tuchel to be brought on against Tottenham earlier this week. That's like Simons. Play- Simons plays at right wing back, which is probably his fourth best position. <laughs> <laughs> on a debut against the team that released him at the age of 13 when they shut their entire academy operation down against one of England's best young left-backs in Rico Henry. And like Rico Henry's going to get the better of him on occasion, but didn't throw the towel in, didn't lose composure, played well, did his job, and helped Chelsea win. 
And, and that's, that's the thing to consider when we're, we're looking at the academy. Okay, the results will be up and down and there's players who are exciting. They've got potential. By all means, be excited about them. But just understand that when if any of them come into the team, they aren't really that likely to let you down. They are an asset to the club. And the academy is a huge asset to the club. I love it. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. Uh, like I said, we want to get you on for Chesterfield because we feel like there's been quite a few more players coming on. So we might as well double up uh, a Chesterfield preview with the Academy uh, recap, you know, maybe update, we should say, since uh, it's been a little bit. But as always, Phil, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of that knowledge you have stored up on the uh, the Academy. We really do appreciate it. Anytime. Looking forward to the Chesterfield game and everything else to come this season. Yeah. Well, busy weekends are back. So again, uh, we've got Chesterfield in the FA Cup. Make sure to check it out. I think if you're in the U.S., it's going to be on ESPN. So uh, make sure you've got your 16th uh, streaming subscription lined up because that is how it works. But anyways, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, we'll be back with a match review on Monday. Uh, hopefully a women's pod as well. And uh, we'll get Matt Law. Sorry we missed him, but uh, consolation prize Phil and I. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.